Praise God. Thank you, Lord. If you brought your Bible with you today, go with me to the book of Romans, chapter 10. Romans 10. We've been in a series now for a little while that I want to pick up on today. I believe it'll be helpful. Inspire you to move forward in God and experience Him to the full. If you're uh, if you haven't been with us during the, uh, the, the this this teaching series, uh, I want you to know it's all available to you for free. Doesn't cost you a dime. I know for some it's a whole totally new concept to listen to teaching outside of church, but uh, actually it could do you a whole lot of good. And uh, try it out for yourself. It's available to you if you want to. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 has been our foundational scripture for this teaching. It reads, and why don't you read it out loud with me? Read it together with me. So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so we're talking about living the life of faith. We know from scripture that it's the only way to please God, right? Uh, we know that, that, that living a life of faith is basically how we overcome. If you're interested in overcoming, meaning, what do you mean overcome? Well, you're not overcome by life and circumstance and trial and test, but rather you overcome. It is how we overcome. First uh, John, the scripture said, this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith, all right? It's, uh, our faith is, is how we receive from God. It's how we stay safe from trouble and heart harm. It, it, it is how we, how we love each other. And we know it's, it's necessary to have faith, sometimes to love each other. It's how we pray. It, it's how we give. If you, if you have interest in, in having a connection with God where, where, where things come from Him into your life, you, you definitely want to understand the life of faith. Yet, uh, at the same time that I see all the, the, the principles, the rules that govern the kingdom of God and how faith operates, how it works, I also see the great need for the relational aspect to be discussed. That's why this series is entitled Faith and Fellowship. Sometimes people have gotten into error by only uh, understanding the legalities of the faith life, the rules that govern the system. And they don't understand that the end result has always been that you you and the Father would walk closely together, that you'd have a relationship with Him. And it's the combination of these two that really produce something explosive, something dynamic, something life-giving, something that, that really changes the way we view ourselves and, and others. Uh, how many understand you can't trust someone you don't know? And so if I'm going to have faith in God, I need to get to know Him. And if I don't get to know Him, I can't trust Him. Period. And so the, the relational side of uh, of this subject is very, very important. I, I've got to hear from God. If faith comes from hearing the Word of God, I've got to hear the words of God. If I don't, I don't know what to believe. 
and I don't have the ability to believe correctly. How many understand a lot of people believe something? (laughs) In fact, that would be everyone believes something. They have faith in something. But it's not always the correct thing. It's not always a belief system that produces desired results. But if I don't like the results I'm getting, I need to check what I believe and what those beliefs are based on. And so if I can get into a relationship with the Father where I am hearing His voice, where we are walking together, I'm going to know how He thinks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to understand how He approaches things so then I can approach them the same way. Look with me over at the book of Romans. You're there in the 10th chapter, but in, in chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, uh, the discussion is about Abraham, and, and he's a, a father of our faith. Uh, but something in the middle of this discussion is what I want to get, a, a very powerful principle in, in verse 17. It reads, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, talking to Abraham, a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Now, 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 whenever I hear a statement about God, it is not only to be responded to by me being impressed. And no doubt I am impressed with God. I'm impressed with His love and His power and His ability and everything that's true about Him. But I shouldn't only respond to a statement that's true about the Father with, wow, you're awesome, you're wonderful, I glorify you, I worship you, okay? But there is another response. Wait a minute, this is how my Father deals with things? This is how He acts? This is how He handles and conducts Himself? I ought to do that too. Because we are told to be imitators of God. Many times when people hear about the great outstanding works that God has done in Scripture or in uh, contemporaries' lives, uh, all we do is stand back and, and praise Him for it. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. We, we do praise Him for it. But how many know God is impressed? And He is praised when you act like He does. When you take what He has done and say, <laughs> yeah, and I can do that too. I mean, have you ever read the, 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 the scriptures about Moses and, and all that God called Moses to do? And some of the most outstanding statements are made in, in, in some of those passages of scripture back there in Exodus where, uh, you know, we often talk about God did this and God did this and God did this. And you, you, when you read through that carefully, you'll find, I know we sang the song and that's, a, that's fine and everything, but you'll find that Moses was the one who actually divided the water. And God told him to do it and to stop bugging him about it. You ever read that where God told Moses, why are you crying to me? Divide the sea. (laughs) And you'll find through and through, you'll find indications of scriptures where God was teaching Moses to act like he acts. To deal with life and circumstances in the exact same way that he does them. Instead of just saying, God, help! Am I messing with anyone's prayer life here today? See, I am totally impressed with the works of God and all that He is and all that He declares. And, and we read statements uh, l- l- like, like this. I'm totally impressed with it. But I also step back and say, okay, wait a minute. 
That's how my father acts. That's how I'm supposed to act. That's how I'm supposed to deal with things. That's how I'm supposed to approach life. And when I recognize that he has invested himself in me, his power, his authority, his word, and I can emulate my father and deal with circumstances just like he does, man, I've gone a long ways now. Okay? As opposed to the, you know, the passivity of so many believers, they sit back and we're just going to see what God does. Well, why don't you step up and do what God does? Huh? It's a totally different way of thinking. Uh, you know, like when, when God told Moses that I'm going to make you like God to, Mos- to, uh, to, to Pharaoh and Aaron's going to be your prophet. It's like, wow, he's teaching him some high level stuff here. To use that kind of language to teach him to act like he would act in those situations. Praise God. But how does God act? Well, he gives life to the dead. Thank you, Lord. And what does he do? He calls those things which do not exist as though they did. So this is how God deals with things that are wrong. What does he do? He calls them right. What do you mean he calls them? He speaks to them. He speaks correction. He speaks healing. He speaks life to dead things. And they become alive. Okay? This is how our Father acts. And this is the life of faith. Now, now you remember this. A few weeks ago, we were talking about the Scripture in, 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 in the book of Mark, chapter 11, verse 22. Most of our translations read something like this. Have faith in God. But we looked at that a little bit deeper and saw in the original language, literally what it says is have faith of God or have the God kind of faith. So really what Jesus was teaching us there is not just to believe in God, believe in the Father, but to operate in faith, to conduct yourself just like he conducts himself. Be imitators of God as dear children is the way Paul put it in the book of Ephesians. We find out how the Father does it, and then we act accordingly. We do the same things. And Jesus taught the disciples to operate that way. Now, how does our Father do things? Well, we should do them the same way. He speaks to things that that don't exist. Now watch, in the physical realm, and He says they do exist. He speaks them into being. He changes things that are wrong uh, in the physical realm and makes them right. Okay. Now, uh, let me show you an exa- example of this principle real quick in, uh, in Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. I know I'm already messing with some of you, but that's what I intend to do. Okay. There's a belief system that totally messes the rest of my sermon up. So let me deal with that. <laughs> if, if we approach life as if everything that happens is supposed to happen, if we approach and if we have this belief system that says, well, everything happens for a reason, huh? and it's all, we, we have this subtle belief that there's a divine spark and inspiration to every event that happens in life, then the rest of this message won't work for you. All right? Because I am approaching this And I'm approaching life from this standpoint. We live in a sin-filled, messed up, cursed, perverted world. There's a lot of things that are totally not of God. It is really messed up. 
and what God has invested in us, His, His children, He has given us His Spirit, His Word, His authority, so we could emulate Him and walk in this earth changing things, bringing life to dead situations. Things that are wrong, we speak, we pray, we do, we act, and we make them right. Okay? So we, we, we've got to recognize we live in a fallen world. Not everything's the way it's supposed to be. Not everything that's ever happened to you had to happen to you. Okay? Now, if it did, it did. And if you can get something good out of it, go for it. Okay? A lot of times we can. But that doesn't mean it was the will of God. Look at this in, uh, in, in Luke chapter 13. Of course, Jesus is discussing this woman who was bent over. She had this back problem, it appears, maybe a scoliosis or something like that for a long time. He was arguing with the, the religious people, which is usually the case. You can't heal on this day. You can't heal this way. You can't do this. Everything's about what you can't do. And uh, anyway, the principle here, verse 16 he, Jesus said, so ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? I want you to consider this, this language. Ought not this woman be loosed? What was Jesus saying? She ought to be. Said she's a daughter of Abraham. That's talking about covenant. She ought to be healed of this. She's bent over. She shouldn't be bent over. She ought to be different. But she's not until this day. He said, but she ought to be. She's been messed up for 18 years. She ought not be this way. I love that. I love to tell people that. Who have been hurting, been suffering in a condition like this. And, and they just think that's just the way it is. Can't help it. Nothing we can do about it. I love telling people, you know what? It, it's not supposed to be this way. You know, you, you having to deal with this and suffering from this all, the, all this time. It shouldn't be this way. You know what? It, it's, it's not supposed to be this way. That's not the way, it's, that's not the way God wants it to be. I love telling people that. Because sometimes it's the first time they ever thought about it. What? This can change? There's a possibility of this leaving? Oh, absolutely. This is the necessary premise to live by faith in a fallen world. We cannot look at circumstances and troubles and all these kind of things and say, well, yeah, that's just, you know, you just got to learn to live with stuff. No, we're going to act like our father would act, and we're going to call wrong things right. We're going to call things that don't exist as if they did exist in the physical realm. Everybody with me today? Okay. It might be a good, uh, you know, self-analysis, if you will, to think about how we speak about ourselves. What do you say about your own life? In other words, using this Romans 4 language, what do you call yourself? But many have been caught up in the practice of calling themselves exactly like they feel, exactly like they see, and that's a flesh life. How many know you get saved by grace through faith? I believe that Jesus died for my sins on the cross and He was raised from the dead. When I believed that I confessed His Lordship, I was born again. 
And it had nothing to do with anything I saw, nothing to do with anything I felt. I believed and it changed my eternal destiny. I mean, isn't that good? But how many know you don't get saved by faith, not supposed to, get saved by faith and then immediately go back to living by sight. Where if we see it, we say it. If we feel it, we proclaim it. Huh? If we're given a diagnosis or something, we, we immediately identify with it and say, that's who I am. That's living by sight. We are called to live by faith. And it's not just salvation. It's all the rest of our days. You see, the, you see, the life of faith is not just a fad. It's not just a movement. It's not just something that comes and goes. It's not just a doctrine or some kind of optional virtue. It is a way of living. The scripture said the just shall live by faith. And so I need to begin to see things like God does. And when things are wrong, I speak to them and I use the power of my words to make them right. And you really use the power of his words to make them right. It's considered sometimes of great virtue. A great, uh, you know, when individuals will call things like they see it. They'll say, I'm a, I'm a realist. I just say it like I see it. Well, that's not a very faith-filled life, though. God doesn't just call things like he sees them. He calls them the way they're supposed to be. And so what do you say about you? What do you say about your family? What do you say about your physical health, about your financial life, about your brains? You know, uh, you ever heard people say, you know, they, they constantly refer to themselves as, as uh, you know, everything from broke to stupid to uh, all these kinds of things. And they, they speak about themselves, sometimes joking, sometimes they're trying to provoke a response from those around them that will say, oh, no, you're not, you know, and it's just kind of weird you know, issues they have, security issues and stuff like that. But nevertheless, they're using their words. They're not speaking about themselves the way God would speak about them. Jesus didn't say, this woman, you know, she's been that way for a long time. That's just, that's just her lot in life. Some people are straight. Some people are bent over. She's one of those bent over people. And you know, the Lord will be with you in your bent overedness. No, he said that she ought not be that way. It ought not be the way it is. It ought to change. And thank God it did change in her situation. Uh, have you ever heard stories about individuals? I've known of individuals who have, uh, they've uh, used their plants to, to exercise the power and demonstrate the power of this. Where they take one plant and they, they curse it, basically. They speak to it and say, you're an ugly plant. You're a stupid plant. You're, you're a drying up plant. You're a dead plant. You're, you know, and they just basically mock the plant. Speak evil over the plant. And they have another plant that say, you know, and they talk to, you know, a lot of people talk to their plants and, don't they? I, I'm not really a talk, plant talker to her, but, uh, but anyway, speak life and speak health and speak blessing and all this stuff. And literally have watched one plant thrive and another plant wilt over and die. Uh, by, by, by speaking negative words and positive words to it. It's basically what Jesus did, but kind of in slow motion. You know, when he spoke to the fig tree. Uh, but people use this. The thing, think about uh, a child. If a child grows up hearing from a young age throughout their childhood, if a child hears, you're stupid, you're ignorant, you're a waste of flesh, you're not good at anything, you're, you're, you're uh, you know, you're allergic to this, and you can't eat this, and you can't do this, and, and they constantly hear all that kind of stuff growing up. Is that going to affect their future? Man, it'll shape their, the, the image of who they are. 
They'll see themselves in that light. It's a great hindrance. Some, some, I imagine many people today are still overcoming some of that garbage. Because you heard a lot of that growing up because people were, you know, parents were ignorant. But how many know those same principles work to the adult mind? God's kingdom still functions on this premise that we are to uh, call things the way they're supposed to be. And if we will, things change. They align with what we say. Hallelujah. Now, that's the principle for today. I want, to, I want to focus a little more on the relational side. Remember, I've been doing this in this. It's what the, the series is called Faith and Fellowship. All right, Faith and Fellowship. Now, a number of months ago, some of you have heard this story, but I'll tell you it again if you already have. A number of months ago, I was getting ready uh, for a service on a Wednesday night, a believers meeting on Wednesday night, and I was getting ready to leave the house in, you know, just a few minutes, five or ten minutes, I was getting ready to drive out, and so I'm in my office there praying, uh, just praying in the Spirit, enjoying, and just trying to stay stay sensitive as I do, uh, and, and listening to the Lord, but at the same time, here's what was in my mind, I was very impressed, meaning, like, way to go God, impressed, uh, with the glory of God, with His tangible presence, with His glory that, would fi- that fills our, our building sometimes as we, uh, as we get together. And I was just like, wow, that's so sweet. It's so nice. And I'm talking to the Lord, I said, and I'm asking Him, as I'm praying, I'm asking in my heart, how can we maintain this? How can we continue in your glorious presence and your amazing power as an ongoing thing, as a normal, normal deal? As I'm praying about this, I, I heard, uh, just within a matter of, you know, moments there, I heard within me the answer, but it wasn't the answer I was, I was looking for, or what I would expect, because the answer came this way, it said, and I say it, it was it, the voice, him, the person, the Holy Spirit, said, the answer's in Genesis. And I thought, well, I was kind of disappointed with the answer, actually, <laughs> Because uh, I didn't have time to read Genesis right now. I'm getting ready to go. I've got a service to do. I don't have time to read the Bible. <laughs> but if you really think about it, Genesis is quite a big book, and that's what, I, what was in my mind. I thought, okay. I just thought, well, I'll go read Genesis uh, when I can. And I'll find the answer to what the Lord's directed me. He wants to just show me there instead of just tell me straight. <laughs> uh, so I'm thinking, I'm going to think about this later. Let's go do church. On the way to the service, I'm driving, and actually just driving up Eagle Road here, uh, my mind is very much going back to this, and I'm, so I start to think about Genesis. I'm, think, I'm thinking about the very first part of the book of Genesis, and I'm remembering what God called Adam to do. See, uh, he was free to just enjoy God, but you know what? He was given an assignment, and that was to tend and keep the garden. He was supposed to protect that place. Obviously, there was a devil out there, all right? Uh, He was supposed to protect, to tend to, and keep the garden of Eden. And so I'm thinking about that. Well, okay, what's, how's that the answer to the glory of God? But think about it. Adam would walk with God in the cool of the day. They had rich fellowship 
together. He would live in the very glory of God's presence continually. And I thought, that's what the garden is. That's a person's time with God. And then my mind went and I had remembered uh, Miss Melody sharing about heaven and saying she went to uh, her garden that was created for the Lord to come and spend time with her as he would many people in a garden. I thought the Lord likes gardens. But what's the purpose? To spend time with God. And how that needed to be protected and valued above everything else. And how there was an enemy that would come in to try to disrupt that place and get them and was successful in getting them booted out of the garden. What? Losing that, that time with the Father. Everybody with me today? And I read later in, in the ministry of Jesus, before He went to the cross, He spent some time in a garden, didn't He? He went to the garden of Gethsemane. And what did he do? He prayed an hour at a time. And he dealt correctly with his garden time. And he spent time with the Father. And he came out of it. He came out of that place ready to handle the biggest deal of, uh, in history. Where he became sin for us. He became a curse for us. He became the Savior and and, and redeemed our lives. But He was beaten to a pulp. And in the middle of it, He wouldn't speak. He wouldn't wouldn't speak and he, He took it. How do you do that? Time well spent in the garden. What happened to the disciples? Well, Jesus said, hey... Could you guys pray with me for a while? Go over here, watch and pray. And what'd they do? They fell asleep. All right? They didn't do business in the garden. What happened in the day of trial with them? They scattered. Peter denied the Lord. Right? They, they scattered when hard times came to them. But Jesus, I tell you, it was his relationship with the Father that prepared him to handle anything that came his way. And it was far more than anyone else, right? And so the question then goes to, what do we do with our garden time? Are we protecting our time with the Father? I'm not going to live by faith and emulate my Father in heaven if I don't spend time with Him and hear His voice and learn His ways and understand how to speak and, and what to say and what not to say. Huh? I mean, when a child is first born, what are the first things they learn is how to speak, right? I mean, they learn how to eat, but in a short time, they're starting to learn how to speak. How many know when you get born again, that's one of the top priorities as well? What? We need to learn how to speak because we've been speaking like the world. We've been speaking what we see and feel, and now we're supposed to speak on a whole new level. We're supposed to proclaim and declare things that are unseen and unfelt in the physical world, but we give life to them by giving voice to what God has said. Huh? And so it is our time in the garden, our time with the Father, that we must at all costs protect. Everything is coming after you. Everything the enemy has to throw at you, everything this world has to offer is coming to disrupt your life and get you booted out of the garden. 
to interrupt that relationship. Look with me at John 17. John 17, I want to finish over here today. When we see this connection with faith and fellowship, we're far less prone to get into some kind of goofiness or some powerless uh, behavior where we're just, you know, just parroting what someone else did. We're just going through the motions. We've got some of the things memorized, but it's not real. It's not alive. It's not fresh. Jesus was praying here in John 17. Let's go ahead and read. Verse 1, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Verse 3, now this is the description. He's talking to the Father. He said, and this is eternal life that they may, what's that word? Know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now we might often describe and think about eternal life in terms of heaven. Right? And that's certainly true. That's good. Heaven and not hell. Woohoo! Eternal life. Or we think of it just in terms of eternal. Right? It's eternal. It's not temporary. Thank God for that. It's eternal life. Uh, But Jesus defined this in a very specific way that shows us the heart and intention of God from the very beginning. That He wants us to have eternal life, which is a quality of life, and that eternal life is not just us acting a certain way, us keeping our behavior in check and in line, but literally that we would know Him. That we would know the Father, that we would know the Son. You know, we all, I think, want... A life that's fulfilling, a life we want a happy life, we want things to go well in our lives, nothing wrong with that desire. But we sometimes think it is found in material uh, possession. We sometimes think that real joy and happiness and fulfillment is found in a great earthly life. We live in the right climate, we have the right things, we, you know, we, but it's truly not. Eternal life is a quality of living. But it is based on a person's knowledge of God. The absence of that knowledge, there is no quality of living that is higher than just this common world. Now, now let me read something to you. This is a, a definition of the word that's translated here, no. K-N-O, no. K-N-O-W. <laughs> Sorry. (laughs) Now now I'm turning different colors up here, I think. I'm sweating and everything. Uh, When Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they would know (laughs) the, the, the Father and, and the Son. This is the word that's used. It's the Greek word gnosko. Okay? And uh, one, of the, one of the Greek dif- dictionaries, I think it was Vines, uh, said this about that word. It reads, 
uh, about that word, it signifies to be taking in knowledge, to come to know, recognize, understand, or to understand completely. Now, now stop for a moment. Think about it. This is eternal life, to understand the Father completely and to understand Jesus completely. Let me ask you a question. Does God want you to have eternal life? Is He hiding Himself from you? Can't be, you can't want the one without and have the other. If He wants you to have eternal life, He wants you to know, to understand Him completely. goes on to say, frequently indicates a relation between the person knowing and the object known. Okay? So we're not talking about just knowing about God. Not talking about, I memorized these five facts about God. I can quote these eight scriptures about God. That's not what he's talking about. There were a whole bunch of people in his day that could do exactly that. They were the religious experts. And they knew answers. They they had scriptures memorized. They had doctrine down. Right? But did they know the person? No. He said, in this respect, what is known is of value or importance to the one who knows. Okay, how many know that's different than knowing about? That's different than I know these three things about God. No, I value Him. And hence, the establishment of the relationship. The verb is also used to convey the thought of connection or union as between a man and woman. Uh, The same word is used when talking about how uh, how when Mary was when conceived Jesus in her womb, how she did not yet uh, know Joseph. What does that mean? That's the sexual relationship. All right, she had not yet known him. Bible speaks in the Hebrew language in, in Genesis how Adam knew his wife and she conceived. So you can see that when Jesus talks about knowing the Father and knowing Him, the understanding of that word knowing goes far beyond some academic, intellectual, memorization, theology, that kind of stuff. It goes to what? An experience. It goes to a relationship. It goes to valuing Him. That is eternal life. That's interesting to me to hear how many people say, I have eternal life. And I'm not here to cast doubt on someone's confidence in, 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 in their salvation. But how are we defining it? Is it the same way that Jesus did? Someone say, I have eternal life. So you're saying you know the Lord. Tell me about Him. Now, think about it for a moment. If, uh, um, if I were to tell you about Amy. I could I could stand here and say, okay, she here's her height, here's her weight, here's her date of birth, here's her hair color, here's her hobbies, here's you know, and, and I could give you I could give you a bunch of facts about her. If I read off a list of things like that, at the end of the day, do you know her? Do you know some things about her? And they might be 100% accurate, precise, exactly true, right, about her. But you don't know her. You just know some things about her. This is what I 
really want to avoid about God. I don't mean I don't mind knowing some facts about Him. I want to avoid that shallow of relationship. See, I could take that a step further. And if I started telling you stories about Amy. And telling you things that we went through. And things, discussions we've had. Experiences we've had together. And this happened. And here's what she said. And she went through this. And this is how she acted. And this is what she did. And these are her accomplishments. And I started telling stories about her life. Do you know her a little bit more? Absolutely you do. Absolutely you do. But if you, you know, want to get her to know her even more than that, how many know you need to go over and have a conversation with her? (laughs) Spend some time with her yourself. Likewise, it is in our relationship with the Father, sometimes what happens is individuals, they don't know Him, they know about Him, and then try to live by faith. Then try to emulate, well, someone else, they spoke this and it produced good results. And so they say the same things. But you don't know where that came from in the other person. That came from that garden. That came from that living relationship with him. They spoke that from a place that you've never been. You need to go there. And you hear that with the Father. Then you speak and you'll see results. Then you'll change circumstances around you. Amen. I wonder if that could be why sometimes we have trouble sharing Jesus with non-believers. I mean, if someone were to ask you about the Lord, they said, tell me about Jesus. And the first thing out of your mouth was a scripture. That might not come across real well. You know what I'm saying here. Now, don't get me wrong. I quote scriptures all the time. But if, if you should tell me about Jesus, and I say, well, uh, the book of John, chapter 10, and ver- what does that communicate? That I know something about Jesus, or maybe even just about the Bible. It doesn't necessarily communicate that I know Him. And that's what eternal life is. That's what a life of faith is based upon. I know Him. I've got to go places with Him. I've got to hear what He has to say. I've got to ask Him things and He answers. I've got to ask Him to do things and He does them. I've got to speak His Word just like He does and things change. There has got to be, what? Experiences. And I tell you, Instead of, and nothing wrong with the former, but instead of just memorizing scriptures and memorizing principles and being right technically about things, and I'm all for all that, what is needed is experience with God. Tell me about the Lord. Well, you know, I was going through this trouble. I was going through this this deal. And here's what he told me. And here's what happened. And here's what he did for me. I tell you, he's good, and he loves you, and he'll do the same for you. And not only that, here's what Jesus said in the Scripture. See, we're going to bring the the Word in, and and, and how many know a real experience is going to align with the Word? If it doesn't, throw out the experience, right? But I'm telling telling you, God intended for us to have relationship with him where we could speak about him to others firsthand, 
I, no doubt, I'll tell other people's story. We share each other's stories. I'll tell about what God did for others. And, and that is helpful to a degree. It's just even better when I've got my own. It's just even, it even comes across at a higher level. It's more powerful when I was there. And he spoke to me. And he moved and he answered this prayer. And he did this for me. And I stood and I spoke in Jesus' name. And things changed. Amen. Amen. I just like seeing things firsthand. How about you? You know, I like after the first service. Uh, one woman, woman came up to me today, and and she didn't speak very good, very, very good English, and and uh, but she was telling me about the problem. I couldn't even get the full diagnosis about the problem, but it was in this this area, hip area. You know, I anyway she said it is, and she actually wanted it. Sound. I think she asked me to wish over her. It was a, it was a language deal. <laughs> she didn't mean that. <laughs> Meant like pray. And so we did, and Amy and I did, and and the power of God went right into her. She said, "It's better. She said, it's all it's all gone." Uh, that well, I like Jesus' stories, but I like mine too. Why? Because it's Jesus in me. It's the power of the living Christ. I have a relationship with Him. He talks to me. I mean, if we we stood around. I mean, we could t- we could go around. We could tell a lot of stories. That's a relationship with God. What I would encourage you to do today uh, in trying to stop, <laughs> uh, watch what you're saying about yourself. Because your words cr- have creative power in them. Watch what you say about your family. Speak words of life. Speak things the way they're supposed to be, not the way necessarily you see them. All right? And then... Guard the garden. Protect your time daily. That means today. That means tomorrow. The success of my message today isn't, isn't your afternoon, but it's probably more your Monday. Protect your time with the Lord. And if you'll spend quality time, because the enemy's coming after it. But if you'll spend time with Him, you'll maintain His glorious presence in your life continually. And you'll hear His voice and you'll speak His words and things will change around you. Amen.